Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Amy Gartzito about conflict resilience and effectively managing conflict within organizations. Amy Garcido, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today. You know, as we were uh, preparing for this discussion and just learning a little bit more about your background, uh, I, I'm always intrigued um, by the, the diverse types of experiences that people have and the way they frame those experiences. And, and yours is, is definitely interesting too, um, specifically around conflict. Uh, management and, and working with teams to effectively effectively communicate within organizations. So today we're going to be talking about effectively managing conflict uh, within organizations, and I, I trust it will be a very lively, lively and uh, fun discussion. As we get started, I just wanted to share Amy's uh, bio with the listeners. Amy Garzito is a conflict alchemist, and she is interested in helping workplace communities learn the tools to manage their own conflicts as they happen. Helping communities take responsibility for their inner and outer conflicts is her ultimate goal. She is a publisher, a published author of Your Beautiful Trauma, a practical guide to help you convert crisis into full-scale transformation. Uh, and that's that's really beautiful. Um, what a what a fun focus! And I love how you frame yourself as a conflict alchemist. Uh, that's, that's really fun. Um, anything else you would like to share about yourself by way of background, context, before we dive on into a discussion today? Uh, only that uh, the word that I'm using more increasingly is conflict resilience, and that COVID has provided a unique opportunity to really look at our inner conflict and explore all the things that are internal that come first before managing that external conflict. So we have a real opportunity here to delve into root causes and root success, potential for success, for transformation. Oh, I, I love that conflict resilience. And I'm all about uh, root causes. Um, so much of what we do in organizations and in broader society and within our, you know, our relationships is just like surface level stuff that it's just whack. You're just playing whack-a-mole and you're just putting band-aids on things. And, and while the real sickness festers underneath, right. And, and you're never actually tackling the real um, challenges, the real problems. So, so conflict resilience, I think that's beautiful. And, and uh, focusing um first on on the individual 
uh, and their approach to, you know, kind of those micro um, challenges, I think is really, really important. Uh, so you frame your work uh, as conflict, as a conflict alchemist, uh, conflict uh, resilience. Um, tell me a little bit more about what you mean by the, you know, conflict alchemist phrase um, and why you think it's important to frame things that way. Uh, certainly, and I'm going to riff off of your wonderful whack-a-mole uh, image. So when I think about mediation or resolution, I think of conflict being the end piece and just wanting to fix the painful piece so that everything can go move on as as normal. What conflict alchemy is about is about looking at really the root cause of conflict, working with you, not looking as the other person being the source of the problem, but the, the, the pain of your experience, your painful feeling is an opportunity for you to look at something that needs attending. And it is in that attending that you have an opportunity to use conflict as a, a form of transforma transformation. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in working with communities that want to teach everyone that it's your job to teach people how to treat you. That if you have a painful or difficult feeling, it's your job to manage that feeling and to do the hard work of, of paying attention and attending to that feeling. So that for me is, is where the transformation and the resilience come. You've got to manage you and your inner conflict first before you can manage the outer conflict. And Jonathan, the exciting part of that is the moment you take responsibility for your conflict, the moment you change, you change the ecosystem of everyone around you. So, for example, you know, my background is working with families, children, and education. And the fastest way to change an environment is not to try to go around fixing everyone in the environment. The fastest way to change an environment is to change you. And that applies more and more to the individuals with the greatest amount of social power, social capital, or internal power, internal capital. Yeah, I completely agree with that. When I think of, of effective leaders, the, the most respected leaders uh, in terms of sustainable respect, I think are those that do exactly what you just said. Um, and so sometimes we have this false idea that leadership and, and exerting power um, and gaining, garnering respect, that that's done through carrot and stick, fear-based tactics, show your power, demonstrate your power, and then people respect you. Well, that's, that's not sustainable. Um, people might fear you, and so they might comply with what you are saying as a leader, as a formal, you know, institutionalized leader because of fear. But that, but if you want people to 
to proactively follow you, um, people who will um, do their best work, uh, who will be committed, and who will um, give sustainable effort over a long period of time, not just a short flash in the pan. If that's what you're looking for, then the real leader is the one that has to, they, they demonstrate their, um, their power, not through exerting, you know, carrot and stick type fear-based approaches, but by simply uh, modeling uh, what it means to do that internal work uh, themselves, right? And so they, they, they're doing the hard work of understanding themselves and their connection with other people. They model that, they demonstrate that to others um, on their teams. And, and then they just be with them differently. They, they're mm-hmm. with their team in a way that's more authentic, um, that's less guarded, um, where it's not as defensive in nature and they can develop real, meaningful, authentic relationships um, where everyone recognizes that they're all in a growth process. And the best way to get their people to also take personal responsibility for their own growth and for their own, that that internal work that they need to do is for the leader to model it themselves. And so again, sometimes it comes off as counterintuitive to to leaders, uh, particularly those who may have um, they, they, their experience in the past had been that, that power-based, that fear-based leadership model. Um, it, it may be counterintuitive to them because it feels like they're giving up power. It feels like they're giving away um, power and authority um, by taking that kind of a, an approach and, and demonstrating their, their flaws and their weaknesses uh, and their vulnerabilities. But in fact, I, there's so much evidence to, to show that if you're looking for sustainable commitment and effort, uh, and followership from your people, then that's exactly what they need to see. That's what they need to, what you need to demonstrate to them uh, each and every day. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, that, that, that research is exploding and it is definitely what guides my, my work. So fear-based is not sustainable and we're seeing you know, compliance and obedience are short, short term in terms of moral practice. So if we want to shift people's moral practice, we need three things. We need modeling, we need practice and rehearsal, and we need reinforcement. So those things are how we learn our moral practice. And it's not cognitive-based, it's body-based and feeling-based. So people behave based on how you make them feel, not about what you know or what you say or what the rule is. And people will repeat what they see, what gets repeated, and what's reinforced in culture and, and by others around them. So we have to kind of reconfigure or rethink how we work with conflict. It's a value, it's important, and we need to find ways to be able to hold it and stay in the room when it happens without using power over or fear-based. So when I say that, I just want to make two notes. Number one is that there is a place for, you know, the command, and that is during a high-risk emergency. So 
I don't want to hear about your vulnerability or your feelings when there's an earthquake. We just need clear and correct direction, right? So there's a place for that kind of um, directive and approach. But the day-to-day practice, the how do we want this work culture to look like? How do we want our employees to feel and how do we want to get the very best of their cognitive practice and ironically if we want to get our employees or everyone's best practice in other words where their prefrontal cortex is the most engaged the most juicy we have to engage feelings at a feelings at a body level and not in our head so we have to kind of think about this differently we're doing we're front loading all the work we're front loading all the practice versus dealing with it at the end process of the conflict resolution and for me the last the worst place is the rules and regulations once you've hit relationship or disconnect at the rules and regulation you've got the least amount of ability to hold connection so i'm all about what do we do in the front how do we teach people how to treat others how do we teach people how to manage their own nervous anxious frustration uh, and all of these feelings that are on the increase as a result of lack of brain training, how do we how do we work with that first? How do we expect our employees and everyone in our workspace to do the work of managing those feelings explicitly? And then we talk about how do we do that on an external basis. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I couldn't agree more. Um, one, it, the only way to to effectively um, build relationships, or and or to lead people, and of course, leadership is all about relationships. Is uh, first, we have to do the hard work within ourselves. We have to understand ourselves, uh, and then that will allow us to better understand those around us. Um, and if they're doing the same thing, then they are able to better understand themselves and then us. And then, you know, then we can have this reciprocal type of a relationship where we're constantly learning and growing together and building an authentic, vulnerable relationship. Um, and same thing happens in leadership within organizations. Now, it's you know, not like a romantic relationship, of course, but um, but in an organizational setting, you're still showing vulnerabilities and you're still working and there's still emotional connection with your people and there's still you know um this growth dynamic that should be occurring in in meaningful leader follower type of relationships uh and so we need to do that hard work um and that that takes sustained effort over time 
And, and because of that, because it's uncomfortable, because it takes to sustained effort, and because it's kind of contrary to the kind of societal norms, yeah. models that people are used to seeing in the media, you know, in movies and TV and what they've experienced in their own past, that we don't see it as much as we should, right? Um, and so, but if we can do that work, we can get there. And then, then, only then, without skipping that step, then we can start to, to deal with those external types of factors that are challenging, that are difficult, and that do need to be addressed. Right. So what I am noticing and what I see happening increasingly is that the scaffolding has not taken place. The brain training around all the microseconds of FaceTime that we require to have our nervous system learn to self-soothe has been taken away, for example. And so all of these different things that we are used to, which are bodies uh, and in terms of evolutionary biology, we've learned through millions of years of tr practice to work with tr in, within tribes, within communities, to engage in uh, unsupervised play, to move, to read a face, to be in contact with other. All of these experiences have been slowly and now quickly uh, been minimized or eradicated. And so what's happening is we, we have forgotten what it means to manage our feelings. In many cases, I work with clients who are adults who have to remember to notice what they're feeling, where it resides in their bodies, right? We have to go back to connecting with, oh, I've got more energy in my body. And we have to find ways to manage that energy. So it is, it is going back to the basics. It is training things that used to exist as a matter of training and experience that no longer exists. So we have to put them back in our education systems, our homes, and in our workplaces in order to be as effective as we can and in order to keep our employees and to minimize the costs. The cost of conflict is growing. The cost of not being able to manage worry, anxiety, uh, sadness is increasing. And we need to start overtly pushing culture, workplace culture, so that we can train our, our communities how to do this. So, yeah. before, so Jonathan, here's one thing I want to add to that. We are looking at some experiences now as not being normal that are normal. So for example, to have hurt feelings is, uh, is, is, is part of being human. It's not a right that I, I have a right not to have my feelings hurt. I have to find ways to manage those hurt feelings. Now I'm not talking about, uh, having a free for all and allowing people to be unkind. But what I am saying is that 
feeling pain, feeling discomfort is part of growth. And we have to be careful that we don't take away all uncomfortable feelings in the premise that this is going to make us feel better. We need discomfort for growth and we need to hold spaces where it's okay to be uncomfortable and move forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's assume for a moment that we are in an organization with individuals that have done that internal work, um, and, but there are still conflicts that arise. So at that point, we are dealing with external factors. We're, out, we're dealing with external conflict. What would you say would be one of the, the most important first one or two things that a leader right. should do in that scenario? Well, in, in this hypothetical uh, hypothesis here that you've created, Part of the work that we're front loading is saying conflict is normal, natural, and a state of growth. So we're not trying to eradicate conflict, expect it. And and in fact, if there isn't any tension, then something that this doesn't mean things are good. Something's wrong. Yeah. If if there's no conflict, if there's no tension, then that means you have groupthink. That means you have a a fear-based culture where people aren't feeling safe yeah. and comfortable to, to dissent. So, so the idea is to f- manage you first and then provide the skill set. And then once you've managed you is to look at, you know, giving everyone the same practice for the rules of engagement. So for example, some of like, I'll just give you a couple of quick uh, ideas. When you are, in conflict and you're having an uncomfortable feeling somebody has said something or done something that you're not comfortable with your first biological evolutionary biology instinct will be to attack you hurt me so i have to hurt you back double you need to hold off and not act on that biological instinct You need to wait until you are in a state of calm so that you're you're engaged. So number one, uh, you do your best to hold off uh, and find the right time. The right time is when I'm fully resourced and the person I'm having a conflict is fully resourced. So the first thing is notice and wait. And then say it's me to you, I'd say, Jonathan, I I didn't feel great about what happened at the meeting yesterday. Do you have some time to talk about it today? 20 minutes. When's a good time? Right? So that's, so that's part. So that's one strategy across the board. Notice your feelings, wait, and then find the right time. Another I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, yeah. I think, I think it's so important because people's defenses go up so quickly, um, and something can escalate super fast if we don't do what you just said. Take the time to be present in mind and calm, and and respond in a constructive way, right? right. And most of the time, not always. Sometimes people are just really big jerks who are abusive, <laughs> uh, emotionally, whatever. Um, and sometimes they need to be directly pushed back on. Um, 
but most of the time we're not trying to hurt each other where, you know, it's, it's not intentional. There's no malice, you know, in the words or actions of another person when we are hurt or when something goes wrong. And so if we can be generous that way and we can recognize and try to understand where they're coming from, or maybe they're just having a really bad day. And so they weren't as, you know, it, things didn't come out as, as, as well as they would have hoped. If we can start from a place like that and then calm ourselves, be show them some compassion, you know, through how we interact with them, then at that point, we're going to be in a better position to have a constructive conversation um, and to ad actually address the behavior, the, the words that were said, the actions that, that took place. Right. Okay. So that's, and, and that if, if we overtly say that to everybody in the group, in, in the workplace, uh, then we're saying out loud, these are the rules of engagement. And then we teach people how to do it. And then we say, now it's your job to work with this. And again, with the parameters and understanding that if the power imbalance is too great, then they need a hand. But that 90% of the, the work is in in face-to-face, peer-to-peer conflict. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, Amy, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We're about out of time. Um, <laughs> we could go on and on and on because this is such a rich topic. I appreciate the insights you shared. And perhaps I can have you on another time so we can continue the exploration of all of this. Um, before we part, though, today, I did want to give you the last word and give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get connected with you, learn more about what you're doing, and if you have anything coming up that you want the listeners to know about. Uh, thank you so much. I actually, if you want to hear more tips, if you want to hear more information about particularly the post-pandemic workplace, the virtual workspace, I have a free upcoming webinar on Wednesday, September the 2nd at 9 a.m., Pacific time. Uh, and you can get all the information and you can sign up at creativeedgeconsulting.com. And I would be delighted to see more people there and to have you hear more about the research as well as the strategies. Excellent. I, I, I encourage listeners to reach out to Amy. I'll include her LinkedIn um, profile in the show notes and, and some other links. Um, get connected, reach out, um, find out more about what she can do to help you. And again, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I hope everyone who is listening that you can stay healthy and safe, continue to find meaning and purpose and work each and every day. And I hope everyone has a great week. We are excited to announce the launch of Human Capital Innovation's new e-magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. We hope you'll check out our first issue. And please let us know what you think.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.